Amen. The State Department told her not to go. They said it wasn't safe. But Priscilla Morse wasn't concerned about her safety. She and her husband, David, were saving baby Ryan. So they made a a dangerous journey across roads frequented by the Islamic State until they arrived at an orphanage on a small, at a, in a small coastal town in Eastern Europe. There they met Ryan, a severely malnourished boy who was seven years old, yet weighed a mere eight pounds. Priscilla and David didn't merely rescue Ryan. They adopted him and welcomed him as their child. Priscilla later said, I don't know how to describe it, but you look at them and you you just know. We, We decided long ago that if we were going to adopt, it was going to be the kids no one was coming for. Kids in third world countries who are locked away in orphanages. And like any good parents would... Priscilla and David didn't merely welcome Ryan into their home. They slowly, gently, patiently restored him to health. Ryan had a host of severe medical issues, including cerebral palsy, club feet, scoliosis, and microcephaly. Priscilla would later say, I had never in my life seen doctors look at a child and burst into tears. For months, doctors were unsure if baby Ryan would survive. Surgical procedures helped repair his clubbed feet. A spinal rod replacement helped with his scoliosis. Proper nutrition has taken him out of newborn clothing to a child size 5-6. He's also made significant gains with speech and communication and now has full range of motion in his hands. David and Priscilla are hopeful that Ryan will continue to improve and will eventually reach his full potential. But they remind those who ask that it's going to be a long process. Seven years of neglect can't be undone in a day. I share that story Because today we're talking about our identity as servants. And you might not see the connection, but I think that there's two ways we can think about the Christian's calling to serve in the local church. We could, I think rightly and biblically, tell you that you have to serve. I know right now some of you are already bristling at the idea. Don't you tell me what I can't do or can do or must do. But the Scripture commands service in the local church. Throughout the New Testament, there are commandments after commandment, expectations that those who belong to Christ will serve His people. We could tell you today, truthfully, rightly, that you must serve. Or, I could remind you where you came from. 
and then gently whisper that serving isn't something you have to do, but something that you get to do. It's a gift of grace upon grace. I invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about how, if you're a Christian, Ryan's story is your story. Before meeting Jesus, dear brother, sister, you weren't merely sick, you were dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. So God sent His Son on a rescue mission to travel dark and dangerous roads, to come to this earth, to live human existence with all of its frailty, with all of its suffering, with all of its pain and agony and temptation. He came on a rescue mission to live a sinless life on this earth and to die a sinner's death on the cross in our place. And just like Ryan wasn't merely rescued from atrocious conditions in Eastern Europe, you too weren't merely rescued from your bondage to sin, Christian. You were also adopted into a family. You were invited in. You were by the Father adopted to be younger brothers and sisters of your big brother Jesus. What an incredible gift to be rescued, to be adopted, and yet that was not all. Dear brother, sister, when you became a Christian, you were not immediately spiritually healthy. You were malnourished. You were malformed. You were spiritually broken beyond recognition. But God the Father, through His Spirit, slowly and gently and tenderly fed you, nursed you back to health. First milk, and then for some of us, solid food. And as He did, you grew. You began to regain usage of spiritual muscles to serve that were not once atrophied or unable to function. You have grown. Yes, you still have problems, brother, sister, and yet you are healing. And, and to top it all off, God has given you, Christian, an incredible gift. He has taken your broken twisted, rejected, sin-torn souls and given you gifts to serve. It's the big idea in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. But before we get there, let me just invite you to hold your finger there and look at how this letter begins. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter can barely get his introduction written down before he erupts in spontaneous praise. Look at what he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter begins by reminding you, this is what you were, and God has caused you to be born again because you deserved it. No. Because it was fair. No. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. That, dear brothers, sisters, and friends, that is the context for which we look at this passage on serving in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I hope to impress upon your heart and mind and soul this morning one simple truth that Christian service is a gift. It's a gift to serve. Let's look at our text one more time. 1 Peter chapter 4 beginning in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. With God's help, let me show you three simple, profound truths from these verses. Number one, Christian, to the Christians in the room, you have been gifted to serve. If you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're spiritually mature or a malnourished spiritual baby, you have been gifted to serve. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. It's interesting that he doesn't start by just saying, serve. Now, he could do that. Peter could just say, guys, you're supposed to serve. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because God gifts you to serve before He commands you to serve. Reminds me of the words of Augustine, who in his confessions wrote, Father, grant what you command and command what you will. Do you just understand how amazing our God is? He could just say, do it, figure it out. But what he does is first give you the equipment to do it, and then he says, do it. It's incredible. He gives, he begins with the gift. But notice also that Peter doesn't say, some has received, have received a gift. He doesn't say each might receive a gift, but each has received a gift. If you are in this room and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have received a gift to serve the body. The immediate question that many of us ask is, then what is my gift? Well, Christianity isn't like Hogwarts, 
There's no sorting hat that speaks to you and assigns you a gift once you become a Christian. So how do you know what your gift is? Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Peter seems to be dividing the gifts into two main categories. We could call, they're both gifts of service, but we could call one category speaking gifts and the other category doing gifts. Throughout the New Testament, there are four main passages that talk about spiritual gifts. If you're interested, you can jot these passages down and look at them later, but they're Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 to 31, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And I think we have a chart to show you about these two categories of gifts. That's the full list from all four passages of the different spiritual gifts that are recorded for us in the New Testament. You might notice that some of those gifts are italicized. If your glasses can allow you to see the screen, some of them are italicized. Um, Those are the gifts that many believe are no longer active among the people of God today. So, for instance, gifts like tongues or interpreting tongues or gifts of healing or miracles or prophecy. Some Christians, and there's a debate about this among Bible-believing Christians, would say those gifts are no longer active in the church today. We're not going to settle that debate today. Whether you agree with those gifts being inactive today, all Christians believe that the other gifts are active in the church. Now, as you look at that list of spiritual gifts, let's consider a few practical applications about these gifts that you've received, Christian. A few practical applications. Here's one. These these lists are not exhaustive. All of these passages were written by the Apostle Paul, all four of them, up here on the screen, and yet no two lists are identical. In fact, two of these sets of lists are in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and yet the lists aren't identical even there, which suggests that these lists, these spiritual gifts, are probably not exhaustive, but they're representative of the types of gifts that God gives His church. Another application is that these gifts aren't excuses. They're not excuses. Now, you might notice one of the gifts there, uh, third from the left, third from the bottom on the left side is evangelism from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Some of you might be tempted to read that and breathe a big sigh of relief. Oh, I must not be gifted in evangelism because I don't like it and it's hard for me. Therefore, I don't have to evangelize. Incorrect. It might be true that some Christians are are naturally or supernaturally more gifted in proclaiming the gospel. My father-in-law is one of those kind of people. He can talk to anybody about Jesus and share the gospel with them. I kind of shake in my boots sometimes. I don't know that I have the spiritual gift of evangelism, and yet I'm still commanded to tell people the good news. And so are you, Christian. Some of you might be thinking, well... Giving is a gift. See that top right, second down? 
Well, I don't have the spiritual gift of giving, so I don't have to give. Wrong again. All Christians are called to give. They're called to give. For some of you, giving, that might be where you feel God's pleasure the most. You've been gifted by the Spirit supernaturally with the ability to give, and it doesn't seem to sting the way it does for others of us. But all Christians are called to give. These gifts aren't excuses. Another application, these gifts aren't mutually exclusive. So it's not like you might have one of these gifts and not the other. In fact, there are many scholars who would suggest that many Christians may have multiple gifts. You might be gifted in a bunch of these ways or even more. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Paul writes, having gifts, gifts plural, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Christians in this room, God has overwhelmed you with gifts. It's not just merely one for many of us, or most of us, or maybe even all of us. Another application is that these gifts aren't offices. By offices, we refer to, we're referring to specific titles of, of ministry within the local church. We actually mentioned our offices in the, uh, our catechism reading for this morning. There are three offices in the local church. Office of elder, office of deacon, and what's the third one? Member. A member. Those are the three offices in the local church. And now an elder should have some speaking gifts, and a deacon should have some doing gifts, but having one of the gifts on either side doesn't make you an elder or a deacon. This isn't about offices in the church. It's a different thing entirely. Another application is that these gifts won't tell you where to serve. At PBC, there, there are many ways many different places where you can use your gifts to serve the church. I hope when you, before you leave here this morning, when the service concludes, you'll take a trip around the room and visit the various tables that are set up to talk about some of our ways where you can serve. You can serve at PBC on a safety team on a welcome team, on women's ministry, on building and grounds, on a music team, and the list can go on. There's all sorts of ways in this church where you can serve. But you won't find any of those places on the list here. You will not find in any of your New Testaments the spiritual gift of nursery, for example. Now, depending upon your gift you're going to serve in nursery differently. So this, is not show you, this doesn't show you where to serve, but really shows you how you serve. So for example, if you have the gift of teaching in nursery, you're going to want to teach. And that's a wonderful thing. Somebody with the gift of administration, they might, might want to help with something like scheduling or following up with those that visit. Someone with the gift of helping, working in the nursery. You might be the person who's happily working in the background, picking up the toys, wiping off the slobber, you know, all that sort of stuff. You're fine with that. That's you. Somebody with the gift of tongues interpretation will tell us what the little babies are blabbing on and on about. 
And if one of you has the gift of miracles, you'll make sure we never need to ask for help in the nursery again. (laughs) The point is that your gift doesn't tell you where to serve. It informs how you serve. Another application is that the gifts aren't your personality. It's not the same thing as your personality. It's become quite common in Christian circles for many decades. I remember doing these when I was a kid to offer different versions of a spiritual gifts test. But raise your hand if you've ever taken a spiritual gifts test. Good chunk of us. All right. I remember doing that way back when, 10, 11 years old, my little Southern Baptist church in central Ohio. And there might be some value in those tests, but one of the things that has bothered me for a long time is they're quite similar to a personality test. Really, you look at the questions on many spiritual gift tests, they're almost copy and pasted from a bunch of different personality tests. The only difference is the answers are different at the end. Now, one of the problems with that is this is a gift that the Spirit gave you Christian, when you became a follower of Jesus. Your personality started long before that. Also, if spiritual gifts were accurate in depicting the gift that the Spirit gave you supernaturally, then in theory, your unbelieving friend should be able to fill out one of those spiritual gift tests and they would get a zero because they don't have a gift of the Spirit. And yeah, that's not really how it works, is it? So Tom Schreiner shares this. He wrote a really helpful book on spiritual gifts. But he writes this. He says, the best way to discover your gift is not by taking a test. Listen, they didn't have such instruments in the early church. And people discovered and used their gifts just fine. Rather, if you get involved in the lives of others in your church and love as Jesus commanded, then you will discover your gift. Some might say they still don't know their gift. But listen to this. This is crucial. Listen to this. Knowing your spiritual gift is not as important as exercising your spiritual gift. End quote. There could be, in this room, Christians that aren't serving because you're thinking, I just don't know where I'm gifted to serve. I don't know where I belong. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Dr. Schreiner, and I think the New Testament would say to you, Using your gift is better than knowing what it is. Final application from this first main point that you have been gifted to serve is that these gifts are gifts. They're gifts. In other words, they're not reason for boasting. Look at me. I've got the gift of such and such. I'm so important. I can do this. That's one of the reasons why Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church is because all of the bragging and peacocking in that church about who had the better gifts. These are gifts. You wouldn't imagine Christmas morning when you open up your presents bragging to your other family members about how you got the better gift. You didn't do anything. You simply received it. So too with spiritual gifts. There are gifts given by your loving Father through the Spirit for the church. 
growing up as one of 11 kids, my mom always had a hard time keeping the gifts secret until Christmas. Me and my siblings would often sneak under the tree, you know, shake the present a little bit, you know, hold it up against the light, you know, the really thin, cheap, you know, all the uh, Christmas wrapping paper, that sort of stuff. And you kind of see what it is if you hold it up to the light just right. Every now and then, if we were especially eager, we might even peel back the wrapping paper a little bit so we could see what was underneath and put it back just right. And my mom got frustrated year after year, and she'd always say something like, one of these years, we're just not even going to do Christmas. You guys ruin Christmas every year. So one year, she tried to outsmart us by writing different names on the packages. So instead of the names of the Butoh kids, the packages would say names like Sparky, Dusty, Chuck, Frank. She had some sort of system. We never figured it out. But we eventually learned that regardless of whose name was on the gift, it was given for somebody else. Same is true, Christian, for your gifts. Your name may be on the label, but it's not for you. Which leads us to point number two. You've been gifted for the church. You've been gifted for the church. Christian, your gifts are not given as trophies to help your self-esteem. They're not given as luxuries for your comfort or your entertainment. They're given to you for one another. That ought to a little bit change the way we think about these gifts. If you receive a gift for your birthday or Christmas, and you don't particularly like it, as long as you don't have to see the person who gave it to you, you might be just fine stuffing it away in the closet or re-gifting it to somebody else. But what if that gift was given to you for the express purpose of using it to help somebody else? If you don't do that, don't you see how that person might suffer? Look at the text in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it. Don't put it on the shelf. Don't hide it in the closet. Don't re-gift it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You have received this gift to steward. You know what a steward is? Steward is somebody who manages something that doesn't belong to them. This gift is not yours. It's given for you to manage for your church. Now, who is the one another Peter's referring to in the text? Is it all people everywhere? I would say certainly not, since many of these commands don't apply, the one another commands in the New Testament don't apply to our relationships with unbelievers. So 50 times that phrase, one another, is used in the New Testament. It could be referring to all Christians everywhere, but I don't think that really works either because you can't possibly do something like confess your sins to all Christians everywhere or show hospitality to all Christians everywhere. 
So what happens is if we can't confess our sins to everyone and show hospitality to everyone, we don't do it with anyone. I think those one another commands, whenever you see one another in the New Testament, I think the immediate application is your local church. That's the application. So you look around, if you're a church member here at Pocosin Baptist Church, when you see one another, he's talking about those in membership with you. So when Paul tells the believers in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, to honor one another, he had a specific local church in mind. Or when he tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to wait for each other before they take communion, he's referring to a specific local church and how they relate with one another. So when this command tells us to use our gifts to serve one another. Peter wants you, Christian, to take that gift that the Father mercifully gave you and use it to serve the body. So let's consider, again, a few practical applications from that. First, join a church. If you're here you're a follower of Jesus, and you consider PBC to be your church home, we want you to commit through membership. We don't want you to date the church. We want you to be in a covenant relationship with God's people. If you're here as our guest this morning, we're so grateful that you're here, and you may say, well, I, I just can't join PBC for this or that reason. That's fine. We understand we're not the church for everybody. That's okay. We would encourage you to go and find the church where you can commit. Join a church. If you're going to use your gifts to serve the church, you need to be a part of the church. A second application, dear brother or sister, would be to serve regularly, to use your gifts to serve regularly among and in your church family. This is actually a part of our covenant that we make to one another as members of this church. Our covenant says this, with God's help, we pledge to cheerfully and regularly give of our time, talents, and treasure to support the ministry. Well, let me ask you, dear brother or sister, are you cheerfully and regularly giving of your time, your talents, and your treasure to serve the church? If this is your church, are you cheerfully and regularly doing that? And by the way, in case you're wondering, dear brother or sister, this is bigger than merely writing a check and putting it in a box once a month or however often you do that. Listen to me. God, in His mercy, has gifted you in your person, in who you are, with gifts that are meant to be used to serve the body. It's bigger than money in a box. It's you. A final application would be to serve with the church in mind. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 to 20. Paul writes about spiritual gifts and serving in the church. He uses the analogy of the body as an image of the church. 
He says, the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You imagine what would happen if one day one of your legs just decided to stop doing its job. I don't want to be a leg anymore. I'm sick of this. And all of a sudden, you're quite crippled, aren't you? The stress that it actually puts when one leg is not functioning as it should, it actually causes the other leg to work harder. To my dear brothers and sisters who are a part of this faith family but have yet to get involved in meaningful service, let me plead with you. When you don't use your gift to serve the body, sometimes you actually hurt your family. Not intending to, I'm sure. But as that leg doesn't operate the other one and the rest of the body works harder to compensate. You see how God has called us as a body to serve. And you might say, well, look at me. I'm nothing special. I can't do this or that. I'm struggling in this way or that way. I've got these weaknesses or frailties. And yes, we all do. But God has uniquely gifted you right now, Christian, to serve His church. Are you serving with the church in mind? That doesn't mean, Christian, you have to serve the same way as everybody else. In fact, I would recommend that you don't. Because God has uniquely gifted you. Use those gifts to serve His church. A final implication before we move on to our final point. We must serve in light of the gospel. Notice verse 10 again. Serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied grace. It's, it's multicolored, multifaceted grace. When God saved you, Christian, it was a gift of grace. But God is not a one-trick pony. He does not merely save, give the grace of salvation, and leave you to figure it out. He gives you varied grace. He gives you abundant grace. Grace upon grace. Different types of grace for different needs. And part of the grace that God has given you, Christian, is the grace to serve. A song we sung earlier, as your days, your strength shall be. That's grace too, isn't it? That God would give you the strength that you need to do what He's asked you to do. This means, Christian, you are no longer working for approval, but from approval. It's a huge difference. I tell you, this sets Christianity apart from every other religion. 
If you're in the room this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. Every other religion on the planet in all of human history will tell you, serve God. Serve God. Do stuff for your gods. Bring sacrifices to your God. Go to Mecca for your God. Go on a pilgrimage or a mission trip for your God. Do good works for your God. Christianity is radically different. Christianity says God first serves you. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served. Jesus didn't come for people to serve him on a silver platter. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're a Christian, first you are served by the grace of the gift of Jesus Christ. And then in response to that service, you serve, not because God needs it, but because your neighbor does. So serve in light of the gospel. As important as the church is, even the local church is not the ultimate purpose for these gifts. The ultimate purpose is that God himself would get the glory. Number three, you've been gifted for God's glory. I wonder if you're in this room this morning and you're still skeptical about serving in your church. You're not sure if you're cut out for it. You're not sure if you have time for it. Can I just encourage you, Christian? God isn't leaving this to chance. He's not even leaving this to your own ability. God gives you the gift and the strength to use the gift. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. The oracles come from God. We speak with strength from God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God is the one that gives us the energy and the ability and the power and the perseverance to serve. I'm kind of a nerdy sort of dad, and when my kids were little and they want to help around the house, I would call them a helper fish, which is weird, but it's ironic because fish aren't helpful at all. When have you ever seen fish doing anything helpful? And so Ezekiel, not, not long ago, says to Daddy, I want to be a helper fish. And I'm sure you do, buddy. And I've got a big laundry hamper filled with laundry that it's got to go upstairs. And he wants to help. And he wants to hold one side of it. And so I hold the other side and he holds that side. And this is full. So I'm kind of flexing like this to hold up his end. And together we bring the thing up the stairs. I think that's a little bit of an image of what it's like for you to serve with the strength that God supplies at best, Christian, we're helper fish. I mean, God is the one who enables you to do it. Listen to me. When you say, I can't serve, I won't serve, what you may be doing, whether you realize it or not, is saying, God, you can't help carry me. Help me carry that. You're not strong enough to help me with that. 
God invites you, Christian, to serve with the strength that He supplies. As Hudson Taylor once wrote, God's work done in God's way never lacks God's supply. He will give you the strength to do what He calls you to do. So let me ask you, Christian, you have been given a gift to serve, and you have been given the strength to use it. Are you accessing it? Are you? When you do, God gets glory. Look at verse 11 again. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we use our gifts to serve His people, God gets the glory. Do you want to give Him glory, Christian, as you use your gifts to serve His people? Christian service is a gift. When I first read the story of David and Priscilla Morse and the incredible transformation of their son, Ryan, what welled up in my heart wasn't admiration for Ryan. My first thought was not, what a resilient kid. Although certainly he is. His recovery has been incredible, but for much of it, he's been a passive recipient. What overwhelmed me as I read this story and moved me to tears as I meditated upon it was the love of his parents, that they would go with a rescuing love an adopting love, a transforming love, a love that took a little boy near the brink of death and at great personal sacrifice gifted him with the ability to use his hands for the first time. Same thing is true with you and I, Christian. When you and I are faithful to serve, we're not the ones who gets the glory. The Father does. He rescued us. He adopted us. He is transforming us. And He has given us gifts to serve. So with God's help and for God's glory, let's roll up our sleeves and get serving so the world may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. We're going to sing a closing song and hear a benediction, but I'm going to invite you not to leave when that benediction is over. I'm going to encourage you, if you have some time, to begin on one end of the building or the other and walk through these different pathways for ministry and service in the church. If nothing else, you might start and say, no way I'm doing any of this stuff. But would you just go, if nothing else, so you know how better to pray for those who are using their gifts to serve the body? My prayer, you've already been prayed for this morning, church. My prayer is that God would use this 
in a small way to mobilize some of you who aren't serving to the joy and the beauty and the gift of serving. Would you pray with me?